understand this. I mean, really? What key were you in? That's awesome. Let's do it again. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can hear the brush of angel wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this. Is that your declaration this morning? Because he's here. Let's sing it together. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can hear the brush of angel wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. We just invite you, have your way, change us, moving us from the inside out, shake us, rattle us, whatever you want to do, Jesus so that your name receives glory and you are exalted in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to church. Let's have some church, right? The Lord is here. And I don't know about y'all, but okay. So how many of you guys grew up in a not-so-alive meeting on Sunday morning? Right? Right? Guaranteed to put you to sleep. And, and then, okay, you know, and old Mr. Smith or somebody was like down over here on the left, and every now and then that chin would drop, right? And the preacher's pontificating and waxing the elephant, and all of a sudden you hear, <laughs> we're not that way this morning. Yeah, if y'all want to take a nap, you're in the wrong place. Okay, because, because the Lord is here, and he's not just here so we can hear some really nice message and walk out and go, oh, wow, wasn't that wonderful? He's here so he can meet each one of us individually exactly where we are, breathe life into our situation, completely transform us, and you won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick or lame. For the Holy Ghost of God is still the same. Yeah. 
Ah, we got a couple people that believe that. Oh, you won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Mark 10. Let's go to Mark 10. And they're thinking, oh, Jesus, please let her stop singing. <clears throat> yeah, be careful. We might, like, keep singing. So how many of you did not know that you won't leave here like you came? Did not know that. Okay. You know, for knowing it, y'all were sure quiet. All right. Mark 10, verse 46. Here we go. Wow, Pastor, you gave me a long time this morning. He told me I didn't have to finish till 1.30. Isn't that good? Mark 10, 46. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, always people around Jesus, right? When he tried to get away, they followed him. He couldn't get away. Some of us think Jesus is trying to get away from us, but he's not. He's not. And there was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. The son of Timaeus was sitting by the road. When he heard it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage. Or the fun part, you know, the Greek actually says, cheer up. Do you love it? Cheer up. He's calling you. He's going to pay attention to you. That's pretty exciting. I mean, come on. Don't we all want the, the big shot to pay attention to us, don't we? We want to be, you know, we want to matter. I mean, you know, don't you, you know, like if you walk into a room, wouldn't it be nice for somebody to notice you're there? Well, he wanted to be noticed, and Jesus noticed him. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. Now, did anyone here besides me grow up with parents that had a repeat button in their brain? It sounded something like this. Did you clean your room? Did you clean your room yet? Did you clean your room? How many times do I have to tell you to clean your room, right? Or how about this one? Did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your teeth? You're in bed. Did you brush your teeth? Yeah. Are you sure? Come on, parents, right? We repeat, we repeat. Clean your room, brush your teeth, do your homework. Hello, hurry up. Come on, let's go. Slow down. Speed up. Walk faster. Stand up straight, right? And, and repeat, repeat, repeat. Why do parents do that? To torture you. <laughs> no, no, they do it because they're doing what? They're trying to put a foundation that will put character inside of you as a person so that when you're 37, you don't have to have mom calling you, asking you if you brushed your teeth. Hello? So, 
God does that same kind of thing with us. He repeats himself. And he says things over and over. And they do that to build character. Now, for those of you who do not know what character is, allow me to give you the Mama Ward definition of character. Character is what is left of the bacon after it is through frying in the pan. That is character. You know all that stuff we think we want people to think we are, how wonderful we are, how awesome we are. How, yeah, let the bacon fry in the pan. Whatever's left, that's who you are. And so when we are learning to be, dare I say, lower, shrunken bacon in the sight of the Lord, one of the things he teaches us is how to ask questions. Now, parents, again, there's a big difference between your kids saying, why? I mean, we don't respond to that very well, right? Why? And then you give them the look, right? Any parents here ever given out the look? Show me the look. Man, y'all just... Okay, Dave, stand up and show him the look. The look. Yeah, the look. You know the look that, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That, yeah, we know exactly what you said. Thank you very much. The Lord wants to answer some questions about Bartimaeus for us this morning. And in answering those questions, he's going to show us ourselves. And in showing us ourselves, he's going to show up, show off, and set us free from things that are binding us that we don't even know about. So, shall we ask some questions? Let's do it. First of all, who is Bartimaeus? Well, he's a blind guy by the side of the road, right? But when was the last time you said, well, who is he really? Well, the actual hint is over in the scripture itself. And again, Jesus repeats himself just like a good parent. He says in the word, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, is by the road begging. Okay? Well, there's a problem here. And that is the fact that this word Bartimaeus, the name Bartimaeus, is a Hebrew root, and it actually means the son of Timaeus, okay? So why did he say this guy is blind and he's the son of Timaeus? Oh, and by the way, he's the son of Timaeus, right? I mean, that would be like Hattie, pastor's daughter. You know, Hattie, pastor's daughter, and I repeat it three times, and you go, yeah, what, what, what about her? Well, what is God saying to us about Bartimaeus? He wants us to notice something. Bartimaeus, the word bar, is the Hebrew word for son. Being a son was a big deal. That was a really big deal, and it has this huge meaning that goes back into builder of the family name, and it's used over 4,000 times in the Old Testament. It also can mean, are you ready, anointed and appointed. So here's a guy sitting beside the side of the road that the Hebrew root of his first part of his name means that he is a son, a builder of the family name, having the capacity to be anointed and appointed. And the true status of a son 
was one of great respect and authority. So this, was, this should have been a good deal. There's a problem, though, is when you look up the second half of his name, it takes you to a Hebrew word, too, because Bar is son, Timaeus is the second half of his name. And when you trace that back to the Hebrew, are you ready for what that means? I know you're waiting. You want me to tell you, don't you? Or shall I just send you home and say, look it up in Strong's Good Luck? No, 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 I won't. Okay. So here it is. Are you ready? Timaeus means foul, defiled, unclean, and polluted. Yuck! Who wants to be the builder of a family name that's foul, unclean, defiled, and polluted? That sounds awful. And then Jesus repeats it. The son of Timaeus. Oh my goodness. He must be really foul, unclean, defiled, and polluted. Well, that is unless we start asking more questions. Let's keep asking questions. Why did he say Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus? Because the name son, the second time, in the same sentence, mind you, doesn't go back to the Hebrew, it goes to the Greek. And it's the Greek word, huios, and you've heard that word before. It was when God Almighty said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, the Greeks had names for children, infants, toddlers, sons. That was a completely different story because then it was part of a ceremony. That when the young man grew up to the point that he was trustworthy, he that hath an ear, let him hear. He was trustworthy. He was mature. He loved the father's business more than his own wants. He was willing to do whatever the father said. He was more concerned about what the father wanted to do. They had a ceremony. And the father took his son and presented him to all of their friends. And he said, are you ready? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What did that mean? It meant the son is now capable of acting in the father's stead. Now, isn't that awesome? We, this should sound familiar to us, right? Because it means that if the, if the son said it, it meant the father said it. If the son made the business decision, it meant the father would make that same business decision. The son was trustworthy, and so that declaration was made, this is my beloved son. That is the name that Bartimaeus had when Jesus said he is the son, or the writer Mark said, he is the son of of Timaeus. Well, yeah, that's fine, but we all know that Timaeus means polluted and defiled and unclean and terrible, so it doesn't really matter that it's a really good word for son because he's a train wreck. Well, not so fast. Bartimaeus goes back to the Hebrew, but Timaeus doesn't. The second time he uses it, it goes back to the Greek, and guess what it means? Highly prized. Highly prized. Wait a minute. How do we even wrap our head around this? 
This is Bartimaeus, and he is a son, and he's, his, his father's all polluted and defiled and unclean and ugly. And in the very next phrase of the same sentence, he's the beloved son that somewhere along the line has been through the ceremony that says he is beloved and trustworthy and appointed as a trusted son in the family, and his name really means highly prized. Well, how do we put that together? Because the law can make nothing perfect, Hebrews 7 says. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament says the person that does those things shall be justified. The New Covenant says believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. What we're seeing here is the difference between living under the condemnation of the Old Covenant and the liberty of the New Covenant. And so which Bartimaeus are you going to be as you sit by the side of the road? Which one? Where do we identify? What do we say? Because we can be trapped. What will we align with? Well, where is he? He's supposed to be a son. He's supposed to be trusted. He's supposed to be highly prized. Well, what on God's green earth is he doing sitting by the side of the road? Because roads were not made to sit beside. Roads were made to travel on. And the American Christians, listen closely, think that we are supposed to sit beside the side of the road and watch the parade go by and be excited over all that we see. But roads were not made to sit beside. Who has struggled with Bernie during the Christmas parade? All right, yeah, I thought, yeah, me too. I had to drive through Bernie one morning, and, and the Christmas parade was coming, and people were out there setting up their chairs. Now, I'll tell you what, it's almost as dangerous as, speaking of back to how we, some of us were raised in church, do you remember what happened if you sat in Grandma Lewis's pew? If you took somebody's seat, right? Well, that's kind of what they were like. They were setting their chairs up along the parade route. And, I mean, that was their spot. And you best not, I mean, you best not. Don't even think about moving that chair. I mean, yeah, yeah, they'll go to church the next day and repent. But you're going to pay for it if you move their chair today. So, here they are setting up their chairs. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, they have absolutely no intention of being in the parade. Shall I just stop here and give the altar call? They have no intention of being in the parade. They have no intention of participating in the life that's going by. They just want to observe it, and they want to make sure their chair's where they want it. It's comfortable in their spot, and that's where they are, but that's not where the power and the life and the excitement and the reality is. The reality is in the parade that they're watching. And just watching it, though, doesn't mean we experience it. Hello? So... Bartimaeus, when it says he sat by the side of the road, it literally means he went down and begged, borrowed, or stole, or, or got some money from one of you guys on the street corner, and then he went to Walmart and bought himself a, a tent. And it literally means 
that he settled down and he had made his home on the side of the road. This was not a place he visited. This was his new home on the side of the road. You know the street guide that lives underneath the overpass wherever it is that you see them? That's, this is Bartimaeus. But his name means he is a beloved son who's highly prized. What's he doing sitting on the side of the road? Somewhere he was a son. And somewhere he made a choice that something horrible had happened to him. And therefore he was going to camp out on the side of the road. He's going to keep living on the side of the road. And all he could do is watch here, really, because he couldn't see his state determined his actions. He saw himself. He couldn't see, right? He saw himself as outcast. He had literally moved out of whatever family home he had, and he now lived on the side of the road. Our perceived state, how we see ourselves, my dear brothers and sisters, will dictate our actions. How we see our true relationship with God will dictate how we respond to the world around us, to the people around us, to our families around us, to the, oh dear, I, now I'm going to meddle, to the assault of the enemy on us. Hello. If we're a beggar by the side of the road, we're just going to be yelling and fussing and screaming and hollering about how horrible things are. But the potential of being a true son was inside Bartimaeus. He's begging because he's blind. Now, how many times have we talked about the blind man, y'all remember the blind man in John chapter 9? We quote him all the time. I once was blind and now I see. And we think of blindness having to do with people who are lost, right? People, they're, they're blind. They're completely in the dark. They, they're lost. They don't know Jesus and they're out there in the world. And, and we give our testimony. I'm like the blind man in John chapter 9. I was blind and now I see. Except that's not what the word blind means here. It doesn't mean darkness. It doesn't mean like complete, you know, like the blackout shades they have. You know what it means? It means opaque. It means opaque, like the shade on that window. How many times have we been in a beautiful church and they've had a lovely opaque stained glass window? And it was beautiful, right? And it was gorgeous. And that's kind of how we're like on the inside of our walk with God. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. But it's a smoke screen. You can't see. I don't care how pretty it is. You can't see through it to see what's actually going on on the road you're sitting by. Hello. So what are we doing? Sometimes we're so contented to sit by the side of the road and live in our smoke screen of opacity and then wonder, well, I wonder what, why does God talk to so-and-so but he doesn't seem to talk to me? Well, because we've decided we're sit by the side of the road and beg. Now, this word beg is very interesting. It actually means to demand as something due. Life happened to me. Life is tough. We've experienced things that are tough. 
So maybe Kim and I just ought to go sit by the side of the road and whine. We could whine, couldn't we? All day long. We could just, in fact, let's go to Walmart and get us a pup tent. If we pitch in together, we could fit, we could take turns sleeping in it. Let's just camp out and whine. Because that's what Bartimaeus was doing. You owe me. It literally means his cry was, you need to support me because I can't see. And I'm camped out here by the side of the road and somehow it's your fault. Jesus, it's getting very quiet in this Episcopalian gathering. (laughs) But something happened. Jesus was passing by. And we all go, well, of course, everything changed. Of course, everything changed because Jesus was passing by. But that's not what happened. That's not what changed everything. You know what changed everything? When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he changed his cry. When he heard, Bartimaeus may have been blind, but he wasn't deaf. And you know, sometimes we, we just, life is just moving on. The Holy Spirit just, he was all over the place this morning, did you know? Did, were your eyes open? Were your ears open? Did you see? Did you feel? Did you touch? Did you experience for yourself? So what happens? He heard. He had ears to hear. Jesus was passing by. You know, I don't care. We may have been beaten down, broken, confused, beat up, crushed. Uh, come on. How many? It doesn't hurt any less if I hit my own thumb with a hammer. Sometimes it hurts more. Now, I would love to say life happened to us and and Jesus, therefore, is going to have mercy on it. You know what? Sometimes we just make really, I, I know this has never happened to anyone else in here besides me, but you know, sometimes we just make really stupid decision. Hello? And it's like hitting our own thumb with a hammer and it hurts even worse because we did it to ourselves. And did you know that Jesus himself wants to fix that too? He wants to show up and fix that too. And let me tell you, it doesn't just happen when you're lost. It happens after you've been walking with Jesus for 45 years too. Thank you. Amen. Amen. God said in Deuteronomy, if you walk away to the Israelites, if you walk away, if you decide you just don't want to deal with me and you're going to take off, he said he would scatter them among the nations. But even then... You will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. And you will seek me, he said, and you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14. Then he says, and I will be found of you. Well, I just can't find God. How hard are you looking? Come on, how hard are we looking? Hello, passion. Whatever happened to passion? Well, I don't know. That, I mean, I just might have to get up out of my recliner. Oh, no. I mean, my Bible's 10 feet away on the other table. What if I had to actually get up and go get it? Oh, no. I might have to turn the remote to off. Metal, metal, metal. I might have to choose to do something different with my time. 
Yeah, we heard an awesome message about time the other night in a glow about how important it is. I might have to search for him with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my mind and with all of my strength. And I may have to pull a Bartimaeus because something happened. He quit demanding. He heard it was Jesus and everything changed. You know what he started doing? Jesus! Bertie, not so loud. God's not nervous. No, he's not deaf and he's not nervous. It's okay. You can yell as loud as you want to. And I'll guarantee you what, if we get desperate enough, we will be loud until we get our answer. Hello? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It wasn't, why did this happen? I didn't need for this to happen. I should have still been a son. He didn't give him all the list and the rules and the reasons. He just cried out, pure desperation, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And all of his religious friends said, oh, that's just so wonderful. We're so glad you're praying. What did they do? Shut up, you stupid beggar. He didn't have time for you. Yeah, just like all the scribes and Pharisees I know. Oh, you you know, you, you might spend too much time in prayer. Uh, you know, you could read the word too much. And, and then you become so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. From the pits of hell. I've never met anyone that was so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. I've met people who were too religious minded to be any earthly good, but never anybody that was really too heavenly minded that they weren't any earthly good. He is calling, have mercy on me, and the religious people fought him. And let me tell you, sometimes when we really are passionate about who Jesus really is, the people that argue with us the most are the good churchgoers that were rattling their cage. It doesn't matter what people think. What does God think? It doesn't matter. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the amazing thing happened. Jesus stopped. He stopped and he said, call him to yourself. Now, the fun part is all these people who were telling him to shut up. Did you know that God has groupies? He does. All those people that were telling Bartimaeus to shut up, all of a sudden they're going, oh, Doris, he wants to talk to you. Come on, let's go. I'm your new best friend. I didn't have time to talk to you later, but now Jesus wants to see you, so I'm going to hang out with you. Here, let me help you. Yeah, people are fickle. People are fickle. God has groupies too. Cheer up, he's calling for you. Now, this really messes with us. But Bartimaeus couldn't get to Jesus. He's blind, he didn't know where he is. Jesus is in a mob. He stopped. He said, call him here. Well, I don't know, let's just take this mob. Let's just put us all together and we'll stick somebody in the middle. Gabriel, right? Yeah, we'll stick Gabriel in the middle. And then we're going to blindfold everybody. And you have to figure out where Gabriel is. Good luck. Right? Who did he have to depend on? He had to depend on the people that were fussing at him five minutes earlier. He had to, to depend on the people that were fighting him to get him to Jesus. 
You know, only God does stuff like that, right? You know, I know you really need something. So, you know, that person that's driving you crazy, you know, the one, thanks, Pastor, that you can't forgive. Yeah, I think I'm going to use them to get you closer to me. I think I'll just do that. And we're like, oh, no, really? And he just chuckles and says, yeah, really. Uh Uh-huh, really. He's jumped up. He throws away his cloak. Now, his cloak represents his identity. And I could preach on this for another two hours, but I will spare you. Although that would leave me underneath the 130 time frame. His cloak. Do you remember in the Old Testament where it says, if you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you have to give it back before sundown because he's got to sleep in something and he'll be cold. The cloak represented so much more than what we think. I mean, that's what they slept in. They, come on, these people didn't live in houses like we do. I know you're shocked, but they didn't have a four-wheel drive truck. If they were lucky, they had a four-wheel drive donkey. Yeah, the shocks weren't real good. You think my truck is bumpy. Uh-huh, yeah. They, so these people, they don't have a lot. He gets up. It says he jumps up, and he throws away his cloak. And then he depends on those people that were driving him nuts to get him to Jesus Oh, my goodness. Talk about vulnerable. He's left his covering. He's left his place where he is called home. And he's depending on the people that have been fighting him to get him to Jesus. And you think God is not sovereign in your situation? Oh, he is. He is. So he gets to Jesus. Oh, by the way, yeah, I'll just, I I need to go back and visit that one more second. What are you holding on to? What cloak of identity are we holding on to? Even if it was a good cloak from, quote, back then, maybe an old call, maybe an old anointing, not necessarily wrong, but is it God for you now? Sometimes we have to throw the old cloak away. And so he jumps up. He is, he, he's excited about getting to Jesus. When was the last time we were excited about getting to pray? Oh. Jesus, I'm, I'm trying really hard, but I got 10 more minutes to go. And it's just so hard to have to talk to the God of the universe who is able to transform me and show me who you are and completely change me until I reflect yourself and it's so amazing that you know I'm just wondering if I could would it be okay if I only did it five minutes today are you kidding it you know what it tells us it tells us we are just like blind Bartimaeus we don't see we don't see but he did hear so he gets up he comes to Jesus And the word is so powerful, it literally says, Jesus answered him. Now, this is important because Jesus wasn't just talking to the air. Jesus answered him. What was he answering? He was answering, Jesus! 
He was answering desperation. Son of David, have mercy on me. That's what he was answering. You know, what he was answering is what all the other people were telling him to shut up about. Shut up. Shut up. Be quiet. You're not being, you're not being politically correct. You're not saying it right. You're not praying it right. You're not doing it right. You're not clinging right. You're not asking right. You're not, you're just not. Anybody felt like that before? Yeah. Jesus says, call him here. And it says he answered him. He answered the crying out. It literally means Bartimaeus was the first to scream out. And then he said... Only God does this. Only God, I'm sorry, but only God looks at a blind person and says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, really, like, you know, I mean, Lord, apparently you're not too smart. I mean, come on, isn't that how we pray? What do you want me to do for you? Well, can't you see? I can't see you, right? Well, what is Jesus after? It's the same question as when he said, Adam, where are you? You see, Adam didn't know where Adam was. God knew exactly where Adam was. Bartimaeus thought he knew what he wanted, but something happened when the words rolled out of his mouth. Anybody ever had that happen? The words, like something rolls out of your mouth and it's a revelation. You go, oh my goodness. Oh, oh, God is talking. Oh, wow, where did that come from? Holy Spirit, because you finally, we finally got out of the way and, and weren't interrupting him. And he said something, oh my goodness, and light bulbs came on everywhere. Well, the King James says that Bartimaeus said, Lord, or Rabboni, which is this incredible, it's the highest term that they could call a rabbi in that day. And the only other time it's used in the New Testament is when Jesus was raised from the dead and Mary saw him after he was resurrected and she called him that. This is the only other time. He says, master teacher, which is really, you are the highest one on the whole planet. And King James says, I want to receive my sight. And that's not what he said. Are you ready? This is so amazing. What Bartimaeus said was, I want to see again. Bartimaeus used to see. Hello, light bulbs, y'all. He wasn't always blind. He was a son. He wasn't always pitiful. He had a home. He had authority. He had a name. Something happened to him along the way, and he lost his ability to see. And let me tell you what, it's not just lost people that have lost their ability to see. It's us when we get lackadaisical. It's us when the word is no longer alive. It's us when we're too busy to pay attention to God, but we want God to pay attention to us. That's us. That's us. And he says, I want to see again. I want to see again. The, the worst thing that could have happened to Bartimaeus would have been if he didn't know he used to see. What would have happened if he didn't realize he used to see? What would have happened? There's an old song that says, how long has it been? 
since you talked with the Lord and told him all your heart's little secrets. How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light came through? How long has it been since you poured out your heart and gave him all your desires? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? How much thought have we given? What is it you want Jesus to do for you today? Lord, I want to see again. I want to see again. I want to see beyond what I knew before. I want more understanding. I want to know you. I want to see again. And Jesus did not even look at him and say, be healed. Why didn't you say, be healed? Yea, verily, be thou whole in my mighty name, or some good King James thing. Why didn't he say that? He told him to do something he couldn't do. Go. What? How can I go? I don't see. He said, go. Well, it says literally that he immediately received his sight. You know how we are. Oh, man, I've made so many horrible choices, and I've gone down this road, and the opacity and the smoke screen has become more and more and more dense, and I just don't really see things very well, so I'm sure it's going to take me 62 years of repentance before God likes me enough to give me my vision back. No, immediately he received his sight, and it says he followed Jesus on the road, and the word follow means he followed him as a disciple. It doesn't mean I just went bopping down the road because I thought it was a good idea, and I was happy because I got my sight back. No, no, no. He followed him as a disciple. In other words, yeah, Bartimaeus was probably in the upper room with 120. Yeah, he was probably among the 500 that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Yeah, he was probably in that first church of the book of Acts, right? Why? Because he followed him as a disciple. Well, I want to follow him for blessings. Well, if you follow him as a disciple, you'll have more than your fair share of blessings, I promise. But if all you follow him for is the blessings, then you will completely miss out on truly knowing him because Jesus said, If any man would be my disciple, let him what? Take up his cross daily and follow me. Bartimaeus followed Jesus, and he was made whole. And when it says he followed him on the road, it literally means Jesus' manner, listen closely, Jesus' manner of thinking, feeling, deciding, and conduct. That is what Bartimaeus was following. He wasn't following, he was not talking about a road, like through Bernie, where we set up the chairs because we want to watch the parade. No, 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 no. It literally means he followed Jesus in his manner of life. He followed Jesus in his way. Moses said, Lord, show me your ways that I may know you. 
What did Paul say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and what? And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. Bartimaeus was willing to follow Jesus on Jesus' road, not his own. Jesus' road, not our own. It didn't matter to him. You know why? He had his vision back. He had his vision. And when his eyes were open, what was the first thing he saw? Jesus. We live in a world of bright, shiny, spectacular, flashy. Jesus says to Peter, on the side of the, of the seashore, right? The first time he sees him, what does he say? Follow me. At the end of Jesus' gospel in John, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. What's the last thing he says to Peter? Follow me. It's the same message. It's the same thing. You want bright and shiny? God will let you have bright and shiny, but you won't really enjoy bright and shiny if we don't follow him. The first thing we need to do is get our vision back. And the only way to do that is to be brought face to face with Jesus. And we have to know that we lost the vision in the first place. So what are we waiting for? Are we going to be the son of the foul, defiled, unclean, polluted? Or will we embrace being the beloved Listen closely, trustworthy, trustworthy son in whom the Father is well pleased. Do we have ears to hear that Jesus is near? Or are we going to just sit on the side of the road and be contented to hear life pass by? Or are we going to get up, no matter who we have to depend on to help us get there, and run right smack into Jesus and have our vision restored and our eyes truly open. And when we see, are we willing to truly be one under discipline of the Holy Spirit so that we walk down the road, his road, his way, rather than simply asking him to bless our way. Amen. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? That's his question to us today. And the blind man said to him, Master, I want to see again. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. You know, it's not important that you meet with anybody today except Jesus himself. That's, real, that's what's important. He's asking each one of us today, what is it you want me to do for you today? Not next week, not some ethereal thing. 
What is it you want Jesus to do for you today? For a lot of us, it's, Lord, rekindle our passion. For some of us, it's, Lord, we, I, we need our hearts changed. We've just kind of, you know, the only difference between a rut and a grave are the dimensions. We kind of go lollygagging along because we know how to do this Christian walk thing. Lord, open our eyes. Lord, open our eyes. And so, Father, right now, I want everybody just draw a little circle around you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. Do we have the courage today to tell him what we really want him to do for us right now?